We did wisdom part one last time, and we said that godly wisdom does not come from education. You don't get it out of a book. It doesn't come from advanced years because there are a lot of old people that are not wise. You don't get godly wisdom from experience. Godly wisdom is a character trait of God, and it's because he is wisdom personified, and it's a gift. Now, there are three specific things that are prerequisite for receiving more of this gift of wisdom. And the more we involve ourselves in these three things, the more wisdom we're going to receive. In other words, number one, it, we have to have a desire for more of God. We just need to just want more, more and more of God. The second prerequisite is making God a top priority. And third is putting God's will first and foremost in every single thing that we do. In fact, the amount of wisdom we receive is in direct proportion to these three areas that we're going to be talking about today. Okay, now let's recall the definition of wisdom. Wisdom is a supernatural power force. You know, that I was surprised the first time that I realized that even Webster calls it a force, a power force that causes a person to always take the best path. That's the definition. Now, as a person becomes wise, there's something literally down on the inside of him that actually draws him to do the right thing in every area of life. It's kind of like a magnet. It just draws him like a magnet. So it's wisdom that literally is pulling you in the right direction. Now, when we operate in godly wisdom, something on the inside will even draw us to the right thing to say. So there, there's all kinds of reasons why we need to search after wisdom. It's such a good gift. Now, I'm not talking about persuasive, smooth talk where we're considered a good speaker or maybe where we're politically correct. I'm talking about being drawn to say and to do the right things spiritually, drawn to think on good, godly thoughts. That's what it's all about. Now, in the first study, we looked at 20 benefits that evolve from wisdom. Well, this time I'm wanting us to look at four categories that the Bible says will corrupt our wisdom. We don't want to get wisdom and then have it corrupted. And that's what Matthew 6, 23 is talking about when it tells us that the light that is in us can become darkness. I'd not thought about that before, but we can have that wisdom and that light in us can become darkness. And so you would think that when we got wisdom, it'd be a done deal. That's not so. That's why we have to protect our wisdom. In other words, not only can the light that's in us become darkness, but the wisdom that we get can become corrupted. We have to watch for these things. And verse 23 is a very good description now of perverted or corrupted wisdom. Now, there's four things that the Bible, the Word of God, tells us that can corrupt our wisdom. And since the Bible's telling us this, we need to pay attention. Number one category that corrupts wisdom, according to the Word, is pride and rebellion. Number two category that corrupts wisdom is sin and transgression. Number three, wisdom becomes corrupted and our thinking becomes dulled with alcohol or drugs. And number four, compromising the word of God will corrupt our wisdom. Okay, now these are the categories that's named out in the word of God that will corrupt our wisdom it will actually cloud the light that we have in us. Now, if God put these three things in his word, then they must be important if he had them listed out for us. Now, if these things are capable of corrupting this precious gift that we call wisdom, then we did never forget what they are. We need to write them down, have them somewhere we, we can check ourselves often. Okay, the number one category, the very first corrupted wisdom took place now when Lucifer exalted himself and rebelled against God. Now, since the corruption of wisdom came in the very first time through the doors of pride and rebellion, then this needs to be the primary thing that we watch for. That's the first time that it was corrupted. Now, when a person begins to get puffed up with pride and his thinking starts turning always towards self, he or she will begin then to exalt self. 
And it starts collecting then uh, inside of him feelings of self-accomplishment. And it affects his ability to perceive God's way, the way that God wants us to go. Now, some people really don't realize it's impossible to operate in pride and wisdom at the same time. Now, pride and wisdom, they can't work together. And something else happens when a person gets into pride. As their own ideas, their own thinking becomes exalted in their mind, they begin to think that they're always right. And everyone who doesn't see it the same way is wrong. And when they start thinking that, that's what we call pride. And when that happens, it makes them unable then to submit to anyone else. And the inability then to submit to someone else is rebellion. So just as pride and wisdom can't operate at the same time, we're going to find out in the same way rebellion and wisdom cannot operate at the same time. They just, they can't. They just won't work together. Now, every time we get prideful or rebellious, a corruption process is underway against our wisdom. And this happens to people all the time, sometimes without their even realizing it, that it's happening. And that's exactly what happened to Lucifer. Pride and rebellion corrupted his wisdom. Okay, number two, when we excuse or fail to take our sins seriously, we're going to find out that our sins, our transgressions will corrupt our wisdom. And that's what it's talking about in Psalm 36, 1 through 3. Transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. We don't think about it that transgression is speaking to us many times. And it's speaking and saying there is no fear in God before our eyes, for it flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. And the words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and he has ceased to do good. You know, we need to take some of these scriptures and realize they spell it out so completely if we'll just realize God's trying to tell us these things that will save us a lot of downfall. Did you know that sin can speak to your heart? Anytime that we let sin speak to our heart and we begin to listen now to the evil lies and we cease to fear God and we start scoffing at the seriousness of our sins. And when we take our shortcomings lightly, kind of take them with a grain of salt. And as we think, you know, what is, is this little sin going to hurt? Just this one time, it's not going to matter. Then the Bible tells us that we cease to be wise. Now, Wisdom actually flees from us and our wisdom becomes perverted. And we begin to call wrong right and right wrong. Well, boy, we certainly see that in our world today. All over, people, even in high places of government, are calling right wrong and wrong right. Now, years ago, the husband of one of our church members, he wasn't a Christian at the time, and he was abusive. And so the wife had believed for him for years, but finally she began to get disappointed in God. Now, that's always a bad choice. Disappointment, period, can really send us in the wrong direction. But when we get disappointed in God, we need to watch for that because that'll pull us down every single time. And when she did that, sin began speaking in her heart. And she began to think, look at how mistreated I am. And if you don't look out for yourself, who do you think will? And all these thoughts began going through her mind, and she ended up having an affair. And the sin in her heart now began to, to mess with her wisdom. And she actually saw that affair as, okay, she felt justified. I've been done so wrong. You know, it, it's my turn. It's my turn. And she started seeing wrong as right. Now, anytime we excuse sin, it's going to distort our ability to think clearly, and it's going to start corrupting our wisdom. The Bible teaches this over and over. Now, you can see the digression. First came in the pride, 
you know, I've been doing everything right, and where on earth did it get me? Didn't do me one bit of good. And then the pride opened the door to rebellion. Why should I always be the one to submit? It's not fair that I'm the only one that has to submit. And finally, the sin was justified, and she began to think, I deserve better than this. And when she came through those three steps, then she picked something that she thought would make her feel good, and she did it for herself because she thought she deserved it. Now, anytime we allow sin to speak to our heart, it's always going to pervert God's wisdom and actually cause us to start thinking just exactly like the world thinks. And not just in adultery, it opens the door to all kinds of sin, causes us to start thinking like the world thinks in every area. Okay, number three category that's listed in the Bible that perverts wisdom is in Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whatever is intoxicated by it is not wise. It it spells it out so clearly. When someone's senses become dulled by anything, whether it be alcohol, drugs, sex, whatever, we're going to find out that wisdom just flies away. Jack always said, name one good thing that comes from drinking. Just name one, he said, and you can't. It does not have one single good fruit, but it's amazing how many people just never see that. Well, verse one is so true. It says that alcohol turns around and mocks the person who indulges in it, and it makes them look foolish, and it distorts the wisdom. Now, in counseling, we found that so many, many times the sin of immorality were committed, and I can remember when a certain man, he produced one of the best movies that I've ever seen truly exalted God, and many came to know the Lord because of the movie. Well, later, he was invited to a Christian gathering, and they wanted to honor him, and he was a brand new Christian. And I don't know if he was nervous about being put in front of men and women, but perhaps he he saw that they were all more spiritual than he was, and it made him nervous. And so he came to the dinner, but he was just drunk, stumbling drunk when he came, because I'm sure he was dreading coming and thinking, oh, what if I make a mistake? And he did the very thing that made him look so ridiculous. And so many times we've got to realize that God warns us about these things in the Word. So here he was, a man who had allowed God to help him do something that was almost miraculous. And yet he allowed alcohol to make him look foolish and almost ruin his witness. It was so sad to me. And so instead of concentrating on the miraculous thing that God had used him to accomplish, out of insecurity, what he did, he ran straight to alcohol. He thought, I've got to, I've got to do something to make myself feel better. And so many people will go to alcohol thinking that that's going to make them more secure, but it left him looking foolish and insecure. Now, in counseling, we found that so many times the sins of immorality were committed while the person was drinking. That's what opened the door. And most would not have done it if they had just been in their right mind, if they'd just been in their God-given wisdom, because drinking is a mocker. I've known so many people that would never have committed adultery, but they did it under the influence of drink. Okay, number four category that perverts the wisdom is compromise. Okay, Deuteronomy 16, 19 tells us that a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise. A bribe is not always money either. A bribe can be favor, something given to gain acceptance or or to gain approval. People are often bribed into giving into pressure, and it's called people-pleasing. We see that all the time. 
if we lower our standards for any reason, it's going to blind us and cause us not to see and not to perceive clearly because the Bible tells us that it corrupts our wisdom. Okay, now we said in the, in the first session on wisdom that the sin and degradation in the world started when Satan corrupted the God-given perfect wisdom that had been placed in him. That's where our downfall always starts, where we corrupt our wisdom, and God warns about it over and over. Now, these are the four main categories, pride and rebellion, willful sin, intoxication, and compromise. And therefore, these are main pitfalls to watch for because any one of these now will cause your wisdom to be distorted. And they evidently must have been important for God to put them in the Word to warn us. Now, with this knowledge, we can begin to safeguard our wisdom. In other words, we can start protecting our wisdom. God's given us ways to protect it. And he's, he's telling us our responsibility to protect it. Okay, let's talk now how we can begin to acquire wisdom because we have to get the wisdom first. Now, if wisdom is that precious and it's that important, how do we get it? You know, where, where to begin to start gaining this wisdom? Well, there are some prerequisites because God's word tells us over and over where wisdom starts. You need to mark this scripture down in Psalm 111. The first part of verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the fear of the Lord. I started counting and I actually lost count trying to see how many times God told us it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I thought, you know what? When it says it that many times, evidently God wanted us to hear that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of our wisdom. Now for God to say it that many times, God must really want us to hear it. Now it doesn't say it's the end of wisdom. It doesn't tell us that that's all there is. Neither does it say the fear of the Lord is wisdom itself. It's the beginning. It's where wisdom starts. Now, is the fear of the Lord talking about this knee-knocking, trembling kind of fear? Well, I'll put it this way. If we're in rebellion against God, if we're in rebellion against his word, then we'd better begin to tremble. You know, our knees should begin to knock because there's going to be a judgment day. And the Bible teaches that the word of God will be the final judge. So we're going to be without excuse. But the fear of the Lord that we're talking about today is our recognition of who God is. The awesome awareness that he is indeed the ever-present I am, the master of the universe. It's in recognizing now the omnipotent, all-powerful El Shaddai and the awareness that apart from him, we, we couldn't even exist. It's the awareness of his omnipresence in the world, the fact that he never leaves us and he never forsakes us, and that he is Lord of all lords. He is king over all kings. He's king over all kingdoms on this earth, and nothing exists apart from him. You know, I think sometimes people know that, but they've never stopped to really take that seriously. They, the fear of the Lord is the reverential awareness of who he is and who we are. God is wanting us to develop this Abba-Father relationship. He wants us to come into a Daddy-Father relationship where we, we see him as our, our father, but we also see him as our Daddy who loves us and takes care of us. And, but yet he never wants us to lose that reverential awe that he is the creator and we are the creation, and it's not vice versa. You know, when we worship the creation instead of the creator, it always perverts our wisdom. And there's so many people who worship the creation. They love the creation, and, and they have it up on a pedestal. They worship it. But it's going to pervert our wisdom when we do that. The fear of the Lord is the startling realization that he is the only way. He's the only way 
And that's clear, clearly spelled out in the Word of God. And nothing else in this world will ultimately work. So the doorway now to wisdom is knowing and obeying God. It's not something that you can go to a classroom and learn. I'm going to give you another scripture, though, to back up the fact that wisdom begins as we get to know and obey God. And that's Proverbs 30, verse 3. We said you cannot learn wisdom. Verse 3, neither have I learned wisdom the writer said. It's not something you can learn. It comes as we gain knowledge of who he is. As we know him, as we stay in his presence, his wisdom is imparted to us as a gift. It's a gift from God. Now, Ezekiel 28 verse 3 and Isaiah 11 verse 2, you need to mark these down because it tells us that wisdom is a spirit. And Paul then tells us in Ephesians 1.17, he says that we're to pray to have this spirit of wisdom. It's something we need to ask for. And God wants us to have it. He's offered it to us, and he's saying, ask me for it. Now, we'll look at wisdom differently if we see it as a godly spiritual trait that's flowing into us from the Spirit of God himself. I mean, it's actually flowing from the God of the universe, and he's willing for it to flow into us. We are spirit beings, and God is a spirit, and Christ becomes wisdom to us. And his Holy Spirit now, it will flow that wisdom, that godly wisdom into us as we walk more and more in the Spirit of God. Now, I'm going to read several scriptures to you from the first two chapters of Corinthians. So just kind of let the Holy Spirit minister to your spirit, man, as you hear these promises. In 1 Corinthians 1.30, Christ has become wisdom to us from God. Think about that. Literally, when we receive Christ, Christ has become wisdom to us from God. It's God's way of giving us wisdom when he gave us his son. The worldly wise does not have a bat's idea what godly wisdom is. Godly wisdom is going to sound foolish to the worldly wise, but Christ became wisdom to us. Years ago, we took an unsaved professor to a Christian dinner meeting, and the speaker was giving his testimony. This man that we took, he was highly educated, and this young man that was speaking, he was not highly educated, but you could see he really, really loved God. Well, he was nervous, and while he spoke, he actually picked up his fork, and he was very absent-mindedly just stirring the potatoes that was on his plate. You could tell he was just nervous. And so I leaned over to Jack and I said, Jack, let's pray that he puts the fart down. Because what I was thinking is I didn't want this professor to be turned off. I wanted the professor to hear what was being said. But no sooner had I said that, than he took that fart and he scratched his head. And I'm going to tell you what, I nearly passed out. I just, I didn't have anything else to say. But God doesn't try to impress the worldly wise. He doesn't go there. 1 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20 says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. God is actually going to destroy the wisdom of the wise. He said, I'm going to destroy the cleverness of the clever. He said, I'll set that aside. And then he says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And these people that try so hard to become worldly wise, they would be shocked to realize that God has actually said that he's going to make foolish the wisdom of the world. Now, Paul is making it very clear that the wisdom he's about to describe is something entirely different from worldly wisdom. And he's getting ready now to talk a, about a mysterious gift of godly wisdom. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. And he didn't want us to get it mixed up. He didn't want this to be mixed up with anything that the world has to give. He said, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it's written... 
things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, for to us, God revealed them through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So the Holy Spirit searches the depths of God and then reveals that wisdom to us that has been kept a mystery. So we're living in a time where the mystery is being unveiled and it's actually the Holy Spirit who's wanting to reveal that wisdom to us. And we receive his wisdom and it enters into our heart as Proverbs 2 verse 10 said, by the spirit of God doesn't come from us. It, it, it doesn't come from another person. It doesn't come from the world. That's why this verse 16, and that's exactly what it's meaning, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him, but we actually have the mind of Christ. It's not our wisdom. We can't instruct God, yet we do have God's mind, and we listen to his Holy Spirit. And when we begin to listen, then his wisdom enters our heart. And that's what 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2, that's what it's all about. All of the wisdom of God is made available to us, and yet it's kept hidden from the worldly wise.